So I started this, uh, I did this message called Distortion, and I really had, had prepared a lot for the message, but I felt like the Lord wanted to move us into a series on revival, which, which I did, but I wasn't able to let go of, um, uh, of this, this concept of distortion. And so as we, as we moved through the series on revival, it just, it just continued to sort of percolate inside of me. And as we finished up and uh, moved past Father's Day, I really felt a release from the Lord to come back to this, this concept and this thought. And again, it's not our normal pattern, but I, I just didn't feel like the Lord was done with us around this concept of distortion. And if you recall... Um, and, and some of you were here on that Sunday. And if you weren't here, you can always go to our website. You can download the message. And, I, and I'm going to refer to some of the thoughts. I'm going uh, to rehearse just a few of them, but I'm not going to re-preach the entire message. So if you weren't here, I would highly encourage you to go to the website and pull down uh, the podcast. You can do that from our, our North Place app. I'm sure all of you have the North Place app on your phone. If you don't, you can download that. Or you can go to our social media or whatever and, and grab those things. But just to refresh you, when we talked about distortion, we talked specifically, we're talking specifically about thought distortions. And thought distortions are something that we all um, have in common. A thought distortion is an exaggerated pattern of thinking that is not based on facts and consequently usually leads you to view things more negatively than they are. Has any of you ever experienced a thought distortion before? I can always count on Evans to be honest. The truth is, across this room, every single one of us have experienced thought distortions. And the truth is, some of us live constantly in that place. And it's become a plague to our life. And as a result, many of us are stuck because, we're, because we can't move past the thought distortions that exist in our lives. I'm going to read this morning from the book of Romans, and we're going to look specifically at Romans chapter 12. I love the book of Romans. It, I, I would say it's probably, uh, I say this about all of them, but this is probably my favorite book of the Bible. Um, I, I love the book of Romans so much because I believe really a systematic theology uh, is established in, in the book of Romans. I think what Paul was writing uh, to the church there is so relevant to our lives. It's fascinating to me. It, it's relevant to a church like ours in Durban where we're sort of a diverse group of people who are trying to learn how to do faith and community together. It's relevant to a group of people who have, who have lived through crisis and oppression and difficulty. It, it's, it's really relevant to all of us as believers. And so as we, as we look at Romans, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 and try to kind of move through um, that chapter. I want to read specifically verse 1 and 2 to you first of all. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers. Now, we know uh, when, when Paul or whomever starts with therefore, they're referring to what they've just said. Like we talk about often here at North Place, you always have to read your Bible in context. And when you hear a word therefore, that tells you, oh, I need to go back and see what he just said. So I understand what this therefore is based on. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. 
What mercy is he talking about? He's talking about God's mercy across the story of humanity throughout human history as God has moved and shown his grace and shown his love and shown his favor. In view of all of that, you are to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Now get this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and as you're reading through the book of Romans, you, you get into Romans chapter 10 and chapter 11, coming into chapter 12, Paul is really having this, this interesting conversation, if you will, with the church at Rome, and, and, and it's fascinating to see him sort of wrestle with this reality of God establishing a people and moving in a people. And in chapter 10 and in chapter 11, he's sort of giving an apologetic, if you will, about, about Israel and about here, there, here we are in Rome with this Gentile church or this, really it's a mixed church. So you have Gentiles and you have, you have Jewish people, and they're, they're learning to do faith and community together. Now, throughout human history, God had identified the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, as his people, right? And his hand of blessing had been upon them. And as they moved through history, they went through times where they were in covenant with God and they were honoring that covenant and God's hand was on them and God's blessing was on them. Then, of course, they would move into times of rebellion and they would reject the covenant of God. And, and so as they would move out from under the covering of covenant, they would experience the pain of disobedience. And so they would go through this cycle of blessing of covenants and then pain of disobedience and blessing of covenant and then pain of disobedience. And, and so you have this story and then everything shifts. Everything shifts when the Messiah comes, when Christ comes. Now, for a lot of people, that shift was confusing. It was confusing because they didn't really recognize and understand everything the prophets had been saying throughout the history of the Jewish people. Throughout the history of the Jewish people, God had always said to them, I'm blessing you so that you might be a blessing to the nations. I'm creating you in you a nation that is bigger than you. More than your biological nation, I'm creating a new people, a people of God. The promise that God gave to Abraham wasn't just a biological a promise. It was a, a promise of covenant and a promise in which God was going to reconcile all of humanity to himself. But the Jewish people had lost sight of that through human history. They had lost sight of the fact that they were favored so that they might release favor on the earth. And what had become the, the issue was that this arrogance had developed within the people of God. And you see it over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Now, the, the thing is, is that arrogance is a human condition. Anytime that someone exists in favor, what can happen is if that favor is not understood, then that favor can lead you to a place where you believe that, that privilege is for yourself and only yourself. Now, over the last probably five or so years, there's been a lot of conversation about privilege in the world, right? 
We've heard a lot about privilege in the world. And the problem with privilege is that when privilege isn't recognized from God and understood that it's meant so that you might be a blessing to others, then you can hoard that to yourself. So there's this conversation in chapter 10 and chapter 11, helping the people of God and even the Gentiles to sort of reconcile this story in which God had privileged this group of people but had privileged them so that they might be a blessing to others. And now here they are in which God has poured out his covenant to all of humanity, not just to the Jewish people, but he's called into covenant the Gentiles as well. And they're all sitting around and saying, but how does this work? How do we do this together? The church is being established, and you get to Romans, and you get this letter that Paul is writing to the Roman church. And the same, the same sort of problem with privilege and power and power dynamics begin to rise up in the church. So the purpose of Romans chapter 12, if you read all of Romans chapter 12, is this conversation about people who are called to leadership and this sort of equalizing of privilege and power. And Paul wants to, he wants everyone to sort of understand that privilege and power always comes so that it may be shared and might be a blessing to others. So Paul writes to them and he says, listen, I urge you in view of the privilege, the blessing, the covenant, what God has done throughout human history to put his hand on people and to bless people and in view of his mercy because it's never been an act of anything else outside of God's mercy and love that you have what you have. In view of all of that, you should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not your religious activities that you go through. It's not going to church on Sunday. It's not paying your tithe. It's not just showing up to church and volunteering. There is this sense in which you empty yourself of your claim to privilege and power. And as you empty yourself on the altar, that's when you're really worshiping. Regardless of what your last name is, regardless of what country you come from, regardless of your lineage, the color of your skin, what your bank account is, regardless of all of these things that humans would use to identify themselves to the place that you come to where you empty yourself, that's when you're really worshiping. Well, that's good stuff right there. And he's contrasting it against the pattern of the world. What's the pattern of the world? The pattern of the world is to not empty yourself, but to worship yourself. See, I'm about to get down into messing where we're living. Because this is the human condition. The human condition is, Genesis chapter 3, I want to be God myself. The human condition is, hey, it's all about me. The human condition is I'm the one to worship. I'm the one who needs attention. I'm the, I need to be recognized. I need to be heard. I need to be seen. This is my claim to fame. This is my claim to power. This is my identity, and everybody else ought to know it. The human condition is you better know I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jew. You better know I'm the pastor. You better know I'm the leader. I'm this title or that title or whatever title it is. This is who I am, and everybody ought to know it. 
So Paul, as he's moving from chapter 10 to chapter 11, he's, he's dealing with this issue of the Jewish people who didn't understand, yes, you're blessed, yes, you're favored, but it's all an act of the mercy and grace of God. And therefore, everything that you have has to be laid down so his glory can be extended on the earth. The same is now true for the Gentile believers as well. You can't get haughty, you can't get prideful, and you can't follow the pattern of the world, which is to worship yourself. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be what? Transformed. Instead of reflecting the world, you're to be something counterculture. How are you counterculture? Well, you're counterculture when you don't think like the world. You have a renewed mind. Your mind isn't caught up in the distortions that the world's mind is caught up in. What is the distortion of the world's mind? The distortion of the world's mind is Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to be God myself. I'm going to be worshipped. People need to see me. They need to hear me. They need to know that I exist. And you may say, oh, Randy, that's easy for you to say. You don't know. I'm having to strive. I'm having to, I'm having to fight. I'm having to, you, you're right. I don't understand what you've been through. I don't understand your life. But here's what I know. If you read the history of the Jewish people, there's never been a history of people in the world who have been more oppressed, more neglected, more wounded, more attacked. These people were coming out of slavery and oppression. It's no wonder they had a chip on their shoulder. It's no wonder that they had to fight for attention and fight to be heard. And I know there are people in this room right now, you've had to fight to be heard. You've had to fight to be seen. You've had to fight to exist. And as a result of that fighting to exist, if you're not careful, like me, you can fall into the trap of living like the world. Your mind is caught up in the place of believing that you have to strive so that you're seen, so that you're heard, so that people know you're the pastor, or they know you're the leader, or they know your name. Paul says, listen, that's the pattern of the world. That's the pattern of brokenness. That's the pattern of Genesis chapter 3. Instead, you're to be renewed by the transforming of your mind. As we talked about thought distortions, I shared with you, um, a couple of months ago, Dr. Aaron Bex, he, he gave 10 different thought distortions. Really quickly, I'm going to move through them again. The first thought distortion was mind reading. Mind reading is thinking you know what others are thinking and feeling towards you and assuming. Assuming you, oh, oh, they didn't see me when I walked in the room. They must not know who I am. Oh, they look, I saw they gave me that side eye. I know how they feel about me. I know what they think about me. I know how they, oh, they, they just looking at me that because I'm white. They just see me that way. He spoke to me that way because I'm short. If I was tall. If I were tall, he wouldn't talk to me like that. How many times have I said that? Mind reading is a thought distortion. The assumption that you know what other people are thinking or feeling. Folks, it's the pattern of the world to constantly be thinking out of your brokenness, out of your bondage, out of your slavery, to be perceiving everyone's thoughts about you based on what was broken in your past. It's 
the pattern of the world. It's not the pattern of those who've been transformed. It's not the pattern of those who know their identity in Christ Jesus. I don't have to worry about what people think about me when I know who I am. Mind reading number two, shoulds, the musts and oughts of the world. Shoulds are the demands that we make on ourselves. I should, I, I should have this by now in my life. My career should be like this. She should treat me like this when I come home from work. It ought to be this way. Shoulds and oughts are thought distortions. Places that we live in our imaginations where we create this perfect world of the way we think things ought to be. Number three, all or nothing. Seeing things as black and white, only looking at things one way, using terms like it should always be this way. Every time it should look like this. I should never have to feel this again. I should never have to experience this pain. Don't people know who I am? It's a thought distortion. Labeling. You label yourself or you label others based on a single word or a phrase or a single experience. He's a jerk. He's always going to be that way. So every time he talks to me, I hear him through the filter of the fact that he's a jerk. I can never receive anything from him because my boss is a jerk. He's always going to be a jerk. He comes in and he asks me how the day is. Oh, he knows how the day is. He's just being a jerk. He knows it's raining outside. He's just trying to get something out of me. I put a label on people and I live in that space. You remember this from two months ago. So some of us live there filtering. We take negative details and we magnify them and we, we filter out the positive possibilities in any circumstance or situation because, again, it's always going to be this way or it's never going to be this way. It's a thought distortion. Unfavorable comparisons. When we suppose, we suppose there's this unusual magnifying glass that magnifies some things in some people and shrinks other things about ourselves or others. I have a hard time saying this one, but it's my favorite because I think it's where many of us live, especially after the last couple of years, catastrophizing. Is that how you would pronounce that? There it is. When we make everything's a catastrophe, I know none of you are like this, but you probably have somebody in your life. Every time you see them, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. It's the end of the world. They've lost everything. Their marriage is over. Their career is ended. Well, personalizing. We see ourselves more involved in a negative experience than we really are. We make everything about ourselves. And then the opposite, the, the opposite of personalizing it, and, and, and it's all my fault, the opposite of that is blaming. We usually fall into one of those two categories. We're either always blaming ourselves or we're always blaming somebody else. It's their fault. They did it. It's because of this. It's never the possibility that there were circumstances beyond my control or their control. It's either my fault or their fault. It's always their fault. And then number 10, this is another one of my favorite thought distortions. When we make feelings facts. Well, how, how do you know that? Oh, I just feel it. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've had that conversation with myself. Oh, I, I just felt it. I felt it when he said that to I felt it when I saw her. She doesn't like me. How do you know she doesn't like you? I mean, what has she ever done? Oh, I don't know. I just, I just sense it. It's funny to me. I talk to people about gifts of the Holy Spirit. They have no idea what I'm talking about until you get to this. Oh, I, I, I have discernment. Honey, I'm going to tell you it's not the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just discerned it. No, you're caught in a distortion. I'm caught in a distortion. I've embraced, I've believed things, and I'm going with those emotions, and I'm making those emotions reality. Some of you are getting uncomfortable this morning. I don't know what's going on. I've made my emotion my reality, and what's so crazy to me, what is so crazy to me is that there's no evidence there's no proof, but I take and I live in that thought distortion, and I make that thought distortion so real. And one of the things I love to do is to study neuroscience and the, the way our brain works. And did you know that when you focus on something, when you imagine something, when you do all that scenario playing that you do in your head, you are actually rewiring your brain to convince yourself that that thing that you imagined is real? Did you know that when you do that long enough, you create neural pathways in your brain where it becomes a reality in your brain? Many of us have told ourselves stories so many times that now nothing could convince us that it's not real because it lives in our brain. Many of us come to places of catastrophe in our relationships with our spouses, our family members, our parents, our children, because of things that we have imagined in our mind. Paul takes the church through a whole conversation about the transforming of their mind. In verse 3, he says this. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think, okay, get this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, you may be saying, oh, pastor, but isn't he about to talk about the different gifts? Yes, he absolutely is. But, but as he's setting that up, look what he's saying. He's saying break the pattern of the world. What is the pattern of the world? The pattern of the world is when you're focused on yourself. Many of us in this room, our thought distortions exist because we spend so much time in our heads making everything about us. I am my own God. I should be worshipped. I should be recognized. People, oh, but I'm oppressed. I'm a short dude. And so as a short dude, people have looked down on me in my whole life. So I have to fight to be seen. I have to fight to be heard. And so I get in this place where I am self-obsessed and I'm self-promoting and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and I'm on everything else making sure I'm seen and I'm heard and I'm expressed. And it's all about me, Paul says, listen, there, there should be a different way, there should be a different way that you orient your life. You should orient your life in such a way that, yeah, you have gifts, yeah, you have talents, yeah, you have abilities, yes, you should be seen and heard and valued, but, but it's not all about you. You're not your own God. Paul says, it's, 
it's an act of grace that's been given to me, and, and I think it's been given to you that you should, you should think of yourself with sober judgment. It's fascinating to me that the world, I've said that a lot today. I'm a highly fascinated person. But I'm about to say something, and, and, um, and I, think you, I think you'll probably agree. It's fascinating to me how much goes on in our world today to move people from a place of being sober. Of how much drunkenness exists. From what's prescribed to us by our doctors to what's legalized and we can just go grab. It's fascinating to me how much time, energy, and money people spend getting from a place of soberness. How much time, money, and energy, and effort goes into getting out of that place in which I am in reality. Oh, I've just got to unwind. I've just got to relax. Oh, what it is is I've got to lose touch with reality. And is it possible the reason I need so desperately to move out of reality is that my reality is distorted? Is it possible that I'm having to work so hard to unwind and disconnect because I'm in a place in which internally things are out of sort and out of order because I have aligned my life around me being God instead of God being God? Around it being all about me instead of being all about Him? around the fact that I need glory so desperately and that I don't get it and can't get it, and because it's all about me getting glory instead of him getting glory, I'm never going to be satisfied, and so i got to get not sober. Don't say that to me. My doctor prescribed this to me. Okay. Don't say that to me. It's legal. Okay. I'm just saying. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that, that in my mind... I should seek soberness, not disconnectedness from reality. Well, you like this part a lot, I can tell. Sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. Oh, okay, so it's a work of faith that I'm able to connect with reality. Well, that's good stuff right there. Because what we often believe is that faith is a disconnection from reality. But what Paul is trying to argue is that really real faith, faith that comes as a part of the work of the grace of God in your life and the maturing and development of your giftedness, your identity in Christ, that what it will do is drive you toward reality, drive you toward soberness, not drive you toward disconnectedness, not drive you towards vain imaginations, not drive you toward this place where you need validation from other places. See, here's the thing, friend. You and I, if we're going to overcome the distortions in our lives, we must have a balanced view of ourselves. I must have a balanced view of myself. I must know who I am in Christ. You must know who you are in Christ. My giftedness cannot be an expression of my insecurity. Boy, you got to get that. The attention that I get cannot be an expression of my insecurity. Instead, it must be an act of God's grace and his work in me. And I've got to be okay with that. 
my gift, the attention that I receive, the acknowledgement that, that comes to me in my life cannot be a crying out of my brokenness. Instead, it must be an extension of his glory. See, here's the thing, Romans chapter 12, the church had fallen right into the same trap that some Israelites had fallen into. They were working out of their insecurity and brokenness and demanding recognition from the world. Some of these people that he's about to list who's talking about their gifts, they were demanding attention. They were demanding affirmation. They were creating the same broken power distance that had existed all the way since Genesis chapter 3. And Paul was trying to corrected and he was saying stop being drunk on your own imagination and need for affirmation instead be in a place of sober judgment that recognize Christ has recreated you and in his recreation of you he's empowered you enabled you not so you can get glory and be your own God but so that you might demonstrate his glory see if I have a balanced view of myself then I can live out my design but when I don't have a balanced view of myself, I live in this place of distortion. And this place of distortion makes demands on other people that they can never meet. See, here's the thing, friend. Many of us, many of us need to get out of our own heads. I'm miserable. I'm wounded. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I'm discontent. Because I'm stuck in my own head. I'm stuck in that imaginary world that I have created. Those thought distortions that have become reality in my life. That are not rooted in the truth of God's word and what he has said about me. It may be true about how I imagine people view me and think about me. But it's not true according to what God's word says about me. Paul then moves. It's fascinating. He moves them into a place where he starts giving them practical advice on how they can get out of their own head, how they can get unstuck. Chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And he, he gives a whole list. You can go and you can read this later during your daily 20. He gives a whole list of activities of things that they can do in exchange for what they would ordinarily do out of their flesh, the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world is I don't rejoice when you rejoice. You rejoice when I rejoice. When you're mourning, I say, oh, okay, sorry, honey, and then I move along with my day. The pattern of the world is that we mourn when I'm mourning, we rejoice when I rejoice, but it's about me, it's not about you. And the judgment I make on everybody else's life is if they are capitulating to me, not if I'm serving them in their moment. I'm feeling validated based on people's response to me, not feeling fulfilled based on my service to others. Oh, that's good. The pattern of the thinking of the world is I don't matter and people aren't expressing my value unless they are responding to me instead of I express my value in response to others. The pattern of the world is I don't see my value and others don't see their value, my value unless they're serving me. Not that I experience my value in service to other people. In serving the poor and loving others, in coming to where you are. And when you're 
I may may be going through hell in my life, but when you're rejoicing, I'm going to come rejoice with you. I may have just experienced the greatest day of my life, but when I see you in your mourning, I'm going to come and I'm going to mourn with you. I don't, have to, I don't have to minimize your mourning. I don't have to minimize your circumstance because I had a good day. I can set aside my good day because my good day is going to be there tomorrow and the next and the next and the next because I know who I am. I can join you in your mourning. I can stop what I'm doing because who you are is more important than what I'm doing. Whew. Paul goes through this whole list of activities showing them here's what you do you do the opposite you do the opposite of what comes natural to you in your flesh what would come natural to you when you're in affliction what do you do I don't enter into the affliction. I don't allow the affliction to overwhelm me now listen these are people who are being hung upside down on crosses Oh, you don't understand the oppression that I've been. No, I don't understand your oppression. But can you just for a minute enter into the oppression of the church in Rome? These people are being burned at the stake for their faith. Not being being outed on Facebook. No, I mean literally whipped and killed. Paul's saying to those people, get out of your own head. Do the opposite of what comes natural to you. Your oppressor, the one who's hurting you, the one that's beating you, love them anyways. Do the opposite of what comes natural to your flesh. There's this great theology that Paul is building in the church. He's trying to teach them that what happens in their flesh, what happens to their earthly body really doesn't matter. Mm. I'm not convincing you. I can see it. Paul says, you lay down this body. What goes on in this body is your reasonable act of worship. In view of what God has done for you, the pain that you experience, this moment of rejection, this fear that you're walking through right now, it's just a sacrifice. You just offer it up because God is good and he's loved you with an everlasting love and he's never let you go. The story of what he's been doing in your life extended far before you took your first breath. That's how good and faithful he is. So just offer it up. Think differently. Get out of your head. Get out of that space where it's all about you. Listen, here's what you and I have to understand. To the degree that it always has to be about you, it will never move beyond you. He's talking to them in Romans to these gifted people, these people who are in places of leadership. He's talking about their giftedness. He's trying to help them to find balance in their identity. Remember Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, people who had a distorted perspective of their reality. You get into Romans 12, he's talking to the church. Now people have some position, they have some giftedness, they have some privilege, and they're wanting to exercise that privilege and enforce that privilege on other people. And what Paul is saying to them in this Romans chapter 12 conversation is, this as long as it's about you and for your glory you don't understand what this privilege is about 
You don't understand what this grace and this mercy and this love is about. It's not so that you can be seen and so that you can be heard and so that you can be validated. It's not so that you can be up on the stage and people will applaud and people will clap. It's so that you might extend the glory of God on the earth. That's been the call to humanity from the very beginning. And here's the problem. To the point that your giftedness, that your identity, that your thought life is all about you, your glory will never extend any further than that. Because what you and I are sowing into the world is exactly what we reap. When I'm walking around in my imagination, remember those thought distortions, and I'm making judgments and assumptions about other people, and I'm presuming, presuming the fact that everyone is seeing me based on my filters and, and based on, on my shortness or the color of my skin or my bank account or my career or my degree. When I'm presuming that about everybody else, I'm sowing that into the world, therefore I am re- I'm receiving that. I'm reaping that. I'm creating that atmosphere around me. And so therefore, my giftedness, my true identity, who God has called me to be, all the things that God has stored up in me in His glory is never released in the earth because I can't get out of my own head. I'm stuck in Genesis 3 where i got to be my own God, where it's about me, it's about my glory. And I can't move beyond it. I don't understand. I come to church. I do my daily 20. I pay my tithe. Why can't I get out of this moment, Pastor? I would submit to you today that you and I, struggle to get out of this moment because because up here it's all about us it's all about me and i can't move beyond it his glory won't move beyond it romans chapter 12 verse 21 paul ends the chapter and really sums up the thought he says this do not overcome evil by evil or do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good Overcome evil with good. You don't overcome evil by enforcing by enforcing your title, your identity, by forcing people to accept or validate you. You don't overcome evil by evil. You overcome evil by good, by doing the opposite of evil. You overcome Genesis chapter 3 by Christ. By doing the opposite of those in Genesis, what Genesis 3 did, which was to reject the rule of God and make it all about me. Make it all about my need to be worshipped and my validation. You and I have to make a choice and a decision to actively respond to negativity. We have to actively respond to evil. We have to actively respond to rejection. We have to actively respond to the human nature which is broken, which is according to scripture, sinful. We have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. I'm going to do the opposite of my flesh. When I feel insecure, I'm going to do the opposite. When I feel violated, I'm going to do the opposite. When I feel attacked, I'm going to do the opposite. When my imagination is taking me down roads, I'm going to do the opposite. When I walk into a room and I feel like I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, or people don't like me, or they don't receive, I'm going to do the opposite. What would it look like? What would it look like this week in your marriage if you did the opposite? What what would it look like in your career, in your job? What would it look like tomorrow morning when you see that boss if you did the opposite? 
what would it what what would it change? How would the conversation be different? If instead of responding out of your insecurity and your brokenness and your need for validation, instead of instead of me responding out of my need to be seen and heard, what what would happen if I if I allowed someone else to be seen? If I made sure someone else was heard? What would happen if I allowed the Holy Spirit? If I allowed the Holy Spirit to let the glory of God be demonstrated through my life instead of fighting, striving, clawing, hoping, longing for my own glory. Can you close your eyes for just a moment? Lord, I thank you so much for the truth that's in your word. Across this room, there are so many of us who've had so many different experiences. God, I love the people in this room so much. And there are certainly folks here today that, that, that I don't know their story, but there are so many that I do know their story. I know what they've walked through. I know what they've lived through. I know what some of them have died to and been resurrected from. Lord, these things are not just simple concepts that we talk about. God, they're earth reality changing truths. That if they come to live inside of us, will change everything. That is here. Thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for your word that is real, it's alive, and it's active. Now, God, I know the truth is that there are those of us with thought distortions this morning. It was hard for some of us to receive some of what we heard. Some of us were offended by things we heard this morning. Our defense mechanisms went up and, and we said, oh, that may be true for you, but that's not true. Lord, there are those of us that the enemy just came in just to fight every word that was said. But Holy Spirit, I ask you right now for every single one of us here, overcome our objections and may the truth come alive inside of us. May the word of God be rhema, may it be living inside of every one of us today as we leave this place, overcoming our offenses and objections. Because God, that's how much you love us and desire a relationship with us. For those of us who need to overcome distortions, help us this week, Holy Spirit. For those of us who don't call you by name and don't have relationship with you, help us to come near to you as you've come near to us this morning. For those of us dealing with issues in our lives, Lord, show your glory this week. I pray bless these people. May they experience your love and grace and most of all, your peace. I ask it now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.